0: Our Old Testament reading comes from Isaiah chapter 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice, together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Thanks be to God. Please rise for the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St John the 17th chapter. Glory to you, Lord. And Jesus prayed, "Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself."
1: Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, how wonderful is the grace of God and Jesus shown to us in this that Jesus sinners, even sinners like us, doth receive. And so brothers and sisters, grace and peace are yours in our reconciling Savior. Amen. Again, we've had the opportunity to walk through the Bible this month of July, some of the big themes, right? The themes that we have recognized throughout Scripture that are so important for us to remember when we look at any given text, so that we don't take it out of context, so that we don't do that which we are most tempted to do and make it suit our own needs. And so I remind you, that the first truth we looked at was that God makes a people, that he has created us dust and breath to be his own. We heard those wonderful words from Deuteronomy, which truly frame our understanding of the scriptures, the words that God speaks to each one of us and over each one of us, that you are holy, chosen, and treasured. We were reminded the second week that God molds his people, that though we were made to be his in a perfect relationship with him, though those things which he declares about us are true, we still want to go our own way, and so he sends the law and the prophets as God molds his people. Last week, we were reminded that even the molding wasn't enough, that the people still went their own way, that we still go our own way, though we have his perfect law to guide us. We reminded that god doesn't simply discard us but he makes his words spoken over each of us to be true in jesus christ that because he has forgiven you because he has reconciled you you are holy chosen and treasured and so tonight The next great truth of the scriptures, the second to last one that we will look at, is that once God does this for us, he now sends us out into the world. He sends us, the text says, as his ambassadors, as those who represent him in the world, as those who go out as ministers of reconciliation. We'll see tonight that a reconciled life reconciles lives. That's what God sends us to do. The word reconciliation is used in our Second Corinthians text five times. Think it's kind of important? Reconciled. And I started to think about what reconciliation means, what reconciliation looks like, because we don't use that word all that often in these days. We don't necessarily have these images that come vividly to mind of what reconciliation means of a relationship which was fraught and diseased to be made whole and new. And then then the great example came to my mind. Now you have to understand, I tell you this all the time, Geigers, we're not normal people. And so I love Ken Burns documentaries. I was an American history major in college and so I, I love Ken Burns documentaries. And some of you are nodding your heads and saying, me too, and some of you are saying, who's Ken Burns? And that's okay, that makes you normal, right? During COVID, my kids will remember During the lockdown time, the lockdown phase of COVID, my kids, when they grow up, will someday tell their grandkids. And when we were in lockdown, grandpa made us watch The Dust Bowl by Ken Burns. True story. But this past week, we've been watching The Civil War, one of his best documentaries. And my sons and I have been watching it and I'll admit their eyes glaze over after a little while and they have to force themselves to continue to pay attention, and I don't force them too hard. But we've just gotten to the end of the war, to Appomattox Courthouse, and there's this great scene, the scene which is depicted in this painting. It's not quite the end of the war, if you'll recall, but it's the moment when the armies of Northern Virginia, under the command of Robert E. Lee, finally surrender to the Republican Army, the Grand Army of the Republic under the control of Ulysses S. Grant. Grant had arrived at this moment, this house in Appomattox Courthouse. He had arrived there 30 minutes after Lee. Lee left to stew for 30 minutes over what would be. He expected that he was going to be taken prisoner and so he dressed in his best and cleanest uniform. He told the gentleman that he took with him, his advisor. He told him that we should expect that tonight we'll be with the prisoners. He didn't expect it to go well. In came Grant, crumpled, because he had traveled over 25 miles that day on horseback, completely encircling his own troops. He had seen the entire battlefield one last time. He had a full group with him. Up to eight officers were in the room. As he got in the room, it was Grant who was more uneasy than Lee. It was Grant who didn't have the words to speak. And the first thing that the two men did was at Grant's request, they shook hands. Two men who had spent the better part of the previous year bombing the daylights out of each other. The first thing he did was extended his hand as they left, not as prisoners, but as Grant said, as brothers. Grant insisted and instructed all of his men, we will cause them no further humiliation. For these men who were formerly enemies are now our brothers. Brothers and sisters, that is reconciliation. Of two men who were enemies, who spent the better part of a year and truthfully longer than that, As Grant aspired to be the great general that he was, as he expected that someday he would, as he was engaged in other battles, knowing that someday he would come face to face with this other general, he anticipated this day, and he worked toward it. And the way that he would behave in that moment wasn't something that he anticipated. But he now saw this opposing army those who had seceded from the union, those who had fought against their fellow countrymen. He now said, now all is different because now under a banner of of peace, they have come forward. They have laid down their arms and they are our brothers. It's hard to imagine that. It's hard to imagine treating an enemy that way. It's hard for us to imagine true reconciliation is like. If we want a picture I think that's it. I think that says a lot for us to think about what it means for enemy combatants to come together. And I want you to remember that enemy combatants is exactly what we are before God. You see, sometimes we like to think that in our sins and even in our strays that we're simply indifferent toward God. We like to think that people who are, are, unre- who are unrepentant of their sins are, are just people who don't know better, and we want to treat it as if it's passive, as if it really doesn't matter that much, as if when we sin, it's not that big of a deal. But the Scriptures tell us something different, don't they? The Scriptures don't tell us that it's simply passive and we're being disinterested. The Scriptures don't tell us it's just because we don't know any better. No, in fact, it tells us that in our sins, we are enemies of God. In fact, listen to what the Scriptures say. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from him from the wrath of God? Now listen to this. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Did you notice the word in the middle of that that I emphasized? Enemies. Not just passive disinterested parties. Not neutral before God. Enemies. Enemy combatants. Those who oppose God and push him away. Those who declare in God's face that we know better. Remember, brothers and sisters, that's the essence of the first commandment. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, says very clearly, you shall have no other gods in my face. You see, that's what God is declaring in this moment. That every time we seek our own path, every time we sin and turn against him, every time we decide that we know it's best, we are placing other gods, namely ourselves, In his face, I know better, God. I know what's best, God. I can do it better than you, God. Enemies, brothers and sisters, by nature, we're at war with God. So how does God wage this war? Not the way that wars are typically waged. See, typically, if, if you hate me, then I hate you. Typically, if you swing at me, I, I swing at you. Typically, if you are my enemy, then I, I am your enemy. If you come at me, I'm coming back at you—that's the way wars are normally waged. But that's not waged. But that's not the way that God wages this war. Instead, God sees His enemies and loves them. Instead, God sees us—we who are waging war against Him, we who are doing our own thing and placing other gods in His face. God sees us and loves and declares, you broken, unholy, unlovable people are in my sight, holy, chosen, and treasured. He wages war in a different way. As the text says, in Christ, God reconciled us to himself that he did the work, that he is the one who sent his son to endure the wrath that sin would incur, to receive the punishment that sin needed to have so that God would be just. He sent his son to bear the punishment on our behalf, sending him out into the battle lines that he might be punished for our sake. That's how God wages war. You see, when we say that we're enemies of God, remember what that means. It means that Jesus Christ has paid the full brunt of the war against us. That he stood in and endured, even to the point of death on a cross. He did this, brothers and sisters, not merely to make salvation available. But then goes one step further, sending his Holy Spirit into the world so that he might seek and save that which was lost, that he might seek and save those who were enemy combatants, that he might call you out from the front lines and declare to you, come into the living room of grace, that I might bless you, that he calls into each one of us, that he wants to touch our lives to the waters of holy baptism, calling us his own, that he might make us new, and brothers and sisters, he still does. He continually knocks. Patient, persistent, loving. He knocks and calls to each one of us. Come and be reconciled. Come, my child. Come, for the son has paid the price for you And brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, you are. And as he declares this, he invites us in that we might have our brokenness mended, that we might be made new in Jesus Christ, no longer enemies, but instead ones called friends, or even better, children of God, ones who are declared righteous in his sight, ones whose punishment has been paid for, ones who have been reconciled. And that's not the end of the story, is it? It's not the end of the story that we've merely been reconciled but instead we know this truth that reconciled life is a reconciling life that we then are called out to be ministers ambassadors of reconciliation and in this text what we see is that the apostle paul is passing on what he has first received the letter that's before us from second corinthians is written by paul and timothy and as paul and timothy write these words they're declaring what has been done for them and so let me remind you of who Paul is. Let me remind you of his former way of life, as he says. That he was himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, a zealot of zealous. He was the one who, in fact, would persecute those who would oppose the traditions of the church, those traditions of the Israelite people, those who wouldn't come against it, even one named Jesus. So he we went after the followers with letters in hand to persecute the church, to root out all who would follow after the way, to root out all of those who would seek Jesus Christ, to root out all of those who would, be claimed, who would claim to be reconciled by him, that he might put them to death. And there he was in the book of Acts, lending his approval as Christians are killed. Remember who Paul was. Until a road to Damascus, as he went on his way to persecute the church more you remember the story a light flashes around him knocks him to the ground a voice speaks that the others around don't understand the voice says saul saul why do you persecute me and you remember his response who are you lord one who is strong enough to knock him down was one who is worthy of the title lord and he responds i am jesus He reveals himself to Paul. He doesn't come that day in order to smite Paul. He doesn't come that day in order to destroy him so everyone can see this majestic power. Instead, his power is declared and shown in something else, in the conversion of a man named Paul, in the conversion that then results in Paul being willing immediately to go about proclaiming the very thing that he persecuted. And you remember that in the story, one is told to baptize him. And Do you remember his story? Do you remember what he says? I'm not going anywhere near that Paul guy. Maybe, God, you haven't seen what Paul is capable of. But he's told. Paul has been reconciled. And when he goes and baptizes Paul and something like scales fall from his eyes, he begins to realize that, in fact, God has done the impossible in Paul's life, that he has reconciled this enemy combatant. And in that reconciliation, in that reconciled life, is a life of reconciliation. One who will now be about the business of reconciling others to God in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, because this has been done for us, we are now ambassadors of this. We are now ones who represent this to the world. We are now ones who declare this to anyone who will hear. Be reconcilers, Paul says. Be reconcilers in your life. Be reconcilers that others would know. Be ambassadors of the reconciliation in your life. He repeats it multiple ways in 2 Corinthians 5. i got to tell you something. I wanted this text to be about reconciling human relationships. I wanted this text. To talk about how we as brothers and sisters need to love our brothers and sisters i wanted this text to be about about all the dissension that we see all around us all the time and the dissension which is so common in our community in our society that's what i that's what i wanted it to be about and i wanted it to be about god sending us out to reconcile us one to another and i wanted to be reminded of those things and they're wonderful truths but they are not in this text in fact it speaks of a higher love, of a different kind of reconciliation. Not merely reconciliation of brothers and sisters here in the world, but the true reconciliation of enemy combatants. The reconciliation of human beings before their creator. That's what this text is about. It tells us that we have been reconciled to the Father, that we are what God declares us to be, holy, chosen, and treasured, and we are not alone in that, but that God wishes to call all to himself, that God wants us to declare this to others, to allow them to know his wonderful work in Jesus Christ. God wants us to know we are reconciled, and we get to share it. We get to share this reconciliation with others around us. It's not as hard as you think. Let me give you an example. If I were to ask you right now to share with someone near you your favorite pizza place or to share, closer to my heart, your favorite ice cream place, could you do it? I'm glad most of you are saying yes, yeah. some of you aren't. That alarms me a little bit. If you don't have a favorite ice cream place or a favorite pizza place, talk to me after, I'll give you one. But it's not hard, it's something you know And I'll say, in a small way, it's something you're passionate about. It's something you've received. You had a good meal there. You had a good ice cream cone. And so you want other people to know about it. This is so much more important. And Paul tells us about it. He tells us actually about the nitty-gritty of sharing reconciliation with others. There's no particular blueprint, but it goes very simply like this. You're not trying to sell anyone on anything. You see, there's no tally sheet. And you're not trying to win anybody because there's no score sheet. Instead, your first job is just to listen. And I I think Pastor Jason is great on this point. He talks to us a lot. We hear him in videos and other things. If you read his newsletter articles, the things that he writes, I think he's great on this point. He says, when you're listening to people, what you're listening for in spiritual conversation is a place where their worldview begins to break down. Not so that you can say, ha, 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 gotcha. But so instead you can share hope. So you can listen to someone who says, I just don't know what to do about. So you can listen to someone who says, my heart breaks because. So you can listen to someone who says, I just don't think it's possible. And as you hear that, you can listen to the way that God speaks reconciliation to that person. No, don't make false promises for God. When somebody says, I wish I could get over this cancer, that doesn't mean that we jump in and say, don't worry, my God's going to cure your cancer if you, if you believe in him. Because people who believe in Jesus also get cancer. And it doesn't mean that you can make false promises, like, don't worry, if you become a Christian, nothing bad's ever going to come your way because bad things even happen to Christians. But instead, it gives you an opportunity to give a reason for the hope that you have had in those difficult moments, the ways that you have lived as a reconciled person. To say in those moments of difficulty, for example, that I started to get down because I was afraid that God was angry with me. Instead, I realized that he wasn't, that he loved me in Jesus. I began to feel very alone in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my loss, And I was reminded that Jesus promised he would be be with me always. I can remember those promises, the promises that accompany reconciliation, that I can speak of those things. In fact, this again is what the scriptures say, in your hearts, honor Christ Jesus as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with the same gentleness that your God showed to you though you were an enemy combatant. The same gentleness that he spoke to you when he declared even while you were in your sins that you were holy, chosen, and treasured. Paul says, we implore you Let your heart be open. We implore you to be ambassadors of reconciliation with the Heavenly Father. Because the reconciled life in Jesus Christ is a reconciling life. Brothers and sisters, you are God's ambassadors. Your lives reconciled by Jesus Christ. Just share the hope that that brings you for the glory of Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen.